Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. Welcome to the next episode of my podcast. I have some really good news. Uh, and the good news is this, my wonderful listeners from all over the world. We finally got a mention in the comedy press. And it was by accident. <laughs> After 28 episodes, if Comedians Rule the World gets a mention, actually President Obonjo got a mention because I interviewed um, Kate Kopstick. Uh, and if you remember, for those of you who download this, it was about the rant and what would happen to Edinburgh Fringe. And it got picked up. So I'm really, really pleased about that. And the last episode, which was with EJ Penelba, is doing extremely well. He's the community manager for Next Stop. And one of the things he's focused on was what the comedy landscape was going to look like. Look, I'm not going to waste your time. I'm really excited by my next guest. And uh, let me start by introducing him. His name is Richard Stott. He's originating from Hall. Richard is an actor, comedian, voiceover artist, and writer who trains at the drama studio in London. He also completed a, theater, a degree in theater studies and English at the University of Manchester. I thought he was going to say he did a degree in comedy because quite a number of people want to go and study comedy now. Uh, Richard has been interviewed on the Nihal Antanayak show on BBC Radio 5 Live, as well as for the Minds Over Matter podcast, BBC No Filter and London Live. He has also appeared in the BBC Quickie Sketch for BBC Three. Richard performed his first show, Wretched, at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2017 as well as Hall Truck Theatre and the Camden Fringe. Richard has debuted his solo comedy show, Right Hand Man, at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2019, during which he was listed in Dave's top 10 funniest jokes. Richard has performed at the likes of the Great Yorkshire Fringe, Royal Festival. Look, there is a wide range of things that this man has done. Richard was diagnosed with Pollard syndrome as a child and has experience of body this, is that dysphobic? Is that how you Dys pronounce dysmorphia, it? Dysmorphia. Dysmorphia. Dysmorphia, disorder, yeah. and mental health conditions. Um, so he's got film credits. He's got television, radio credits. He's got live credits. You know what? As 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 a as a military <laughs> as a military dictator who used to perform comedy, why do I do this to myself? Because every time I invite comedians to my podcast, I get jealous but healthy jealous I, I'm pleased for them so it's not it's not bitterness or anything it's just wow look at the look at the the history and the achievements and uh, damn I'm not going to talk about COVID but you know damn 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 general COVID for for stopping us in our tracks but we can only but recover but I I tell you why I wanted um Richard at my podcast there were so many people who felt really sorry for me uh, two years ago as a result of the attempted coup by BBC Studios and E4. <laughs> 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 and there was so much outpouring of love and grief. At one point I thought, maybe I, maybe I died. I, maybe something's happened. I was assassinated. Why am I getting all this love? I had to really pinch myself because at one point I just said, who are those people? Who are those people saying, oh, sorry, President Obama, Jordan. I don't even know them. But I just thought, wow, this is love. It was, I'm telling you, I thought I had died. Literally, I had been assassinated and I died and I was watching a film. That's how I felt. 
<laughs> like an obituary, like literally, and no one would tell you you were dead. No, nobody would tell me I'm dead. And it was only after I left Edinburgh that I realized that I wasn't dead because it was full on everywhere I went to. But anyway, that's history. But Richard struck a chord because I hadn't met Richard before until we met at Edinburgh and he just mm -hmm. came and he spoke mm -hmm. to me and we had a very lovely conversation. And I think we at times take, you see, I, 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 would ad, I would be the first to admit that when I started performing comedy, it can be such a very lonely journey. You know, you, you're as a creative, you're just out there on your own, trying to do things. And when you connect with people, even though they might not realize the impact that they've had on you, uh, Richard was one of them. And there are quite so many people who, who I would say attended my funeral in 2019. I need to go back to them and say, thank you. <laughs> And leave there up for a podcast. I remember it. I remember because there'd been the attempted coup. And um, uh, it's funny you say that this this podcast was mentioned in, in Chortle for the first time. Yeah. Right? But actually, me speaking out about the attempted coup was my first mention in Chortle. Oh, dear. Yeah. Because I got quoted in the article about it. Yeah. And uh, I was like, that's my first mention that I'm in there. I'm an official comedian being quoted on something and it's about it's about this. And I think I think the reason I felt strongly about it and why, why so many other people felt strongly about it is because if we allowed them to do that to you, yeah. then they would come for us as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, and, and it's free, it's open season on everybody's material at that point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I was actually pretty, for once, quite proud of the comedy community. I mean, we don't actually do a lot that I'm proud of. Uh, um, <laughs> that, that was actually quite a nice bit of it. Yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, it was, it was. Um, but like I said, it felt like, it felt like I died and I was watching my funeral and people were just... <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for your support because quite a number of people actually got mentioned for mentioning President Abonja. And actually, even though the podcast is not about that particular subject, it still doesn't, it hasn't stopped all these TV companies from nicking other people's, um, you know, sitcoms or whatever you want to call them. And yeah. interestingly enough, it makes, wary about, um, it makes you wary about pitching things. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I, it's interesting you say that because I have a number of projects that I would like to present. Um, but I am so, I, I don't mind if people hear this, I am so frightened by the fact that it could get neat. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's it's made me a bit paranoid yeah. about who paranoid. to trust. Yeah, sorry? And the, the, there's, there's some things that, um, if it's a simple joke and it's easy to come up with and you just think, and someone's just come up with a, a, basically the same joke as you and it's a different wording, but the thing is it's really easy yeah. and fair enough. It's kind of, there's a simple joke at the end of the day. But when it's a whole concept and it's a whole idea and everything like that, then it gets a little bit weird. Yeah. Um, it's not so much the same as what, what happened with you, but um, there was, um, a, a, there was a, a joke, a whole, not just a joke, like a whole set piece made on a panel show, which will not be named mm -hmm. because I want them to employ me at some point. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> where uh, a comedian, quite a famous comedian, did a whole like two minute bit, mm. which was so specific to stuff that I'd done in my first show. Mm -hmm. um, I did this whole whole bit about mm -hmm. um, 
when I go to the supermarket, I feel like um, a can of beans on the reduced aisle. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I when I go to the supermarket, when I see a can of beans, it's got a reduced sticker on it. Mm-hmm. I, I identify with the can of beans because I feel like we are the same, you know, and I always buy like the kind of damaged goods and stuff like that in the supermarket. Mm-hmm. That same concept was basically used on a panel show. Wow. And I didn't know about it until a few people said, by the way, do you know that this comedian used this? And I remember it from your first show. And this happened a few times. And for a little while, I was like, no, nah, it's just coincidence, coincidence. But then I watched the clip and I thought, that is really specific. Mm-hmm. It's such a specific thing. Now, I don't think it was the act- actually the comedian mm-hmm. himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now ruin it down now, aren't we? Yeah. Um, I don't think it was actually the comedian himself. Um, but... Obviously, we all know that like these uh, TV companies employ writers, and their mm-hmm. writers are under a lot of pressure, and they only get mm-hmm. paid if they if they come up with a certain amount of material. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing stopping people going to open mic nights and fringe yeah. shows and stuff like that, and just picking up the best stuff from upcoming comedians and getting a payday. You know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you do think about it sometimes. Yeah, you do, and it's um, it's such a very painful. Um, it's always a very painful thing for someone to experience. And like I said, it hasn't stopped. I think certainly for me, um, I, I have moved on from it, but time and time again, as soon as there is one uh, accusation about someone stealing something, it gets nestled on Twitter. Oh, you don't want to press Nabonjo <laughs> to happen to you. Uh, so it, it's, it's now part and parcel of uh, when it comes to um, uh, nicking things. It's now part and parcel of what people will refer to in the, in the industry, but that's, that's fine. Um, but I don't, I do not wish it on anyone. It's not a very nice, nice experience. No, you really, you re- yeah, you really need to be resilient, um, because it could, it could just break you down. And the fact that I've been doing this for 11 years. Wow. Yes. A lot longer than me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 11 <laughs> years and I'm now doing Zoom podcasts, <laughs> but it's all good. So how have you been? So last time I saw you, obviously, we had a very wonderful conversation at Gilded Balloon. In the uh, Loft Bar, right? In the Loft no, Bar, no, yeah. No. Without no alcohol, we just had a very lovely conversation. You were looking really happy. I think you just done a done a show that went very well. Yeah, I, 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 I was having a good fringe. Yeah, yeah, I think you. I think you. I don't know whether you'd seen the reviews, but you, you you were very very positive about it. I got some good reviews. I was yeah. very happy about it. Yeah, and um, yeah, I, I got, I got um, I mean, I got a three star review on the first day mm-hmm. from Chortle when I was still reading off a notebook, doing it as a work in progress. Wow! And it came back three stars, and I was like, oh, a little bit disappointed that it wasn't. Free. And then my the, one of the uh, the guy who does my PR, Paul, he was Paul Sullivan. He's a great guy. Mm-hmm. He was like, no, you've got three stars on the first day of the Fringe when he was still reading off a notebook. This is good. This mm-hmm. is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he was right. And, you know, it turns out that I'd written a show that sort of spoke to people in a certain way and we'd worked hard on it enough, not just me, like the whole team. And mm-hmm. yeah, I was pretty proud of what we did during that Fringe. Mm-hmm. And so what did you then do with the show? Because I genuinely did not know until a few years after doing, I think after doing my third fringe, that some mm-hmm. people actually then take their shows to, if 
if they're allowed, take their shows to Soul Theater or they take it on tour. Has anything happened with that particular show that you did? Well, I wanted to tour it. Um, so we finished it into, obviously that was the fringe 2019. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to tour it and 2020 came along and put a stop to that. Um, okay. So we got two of the tour dates in before the country got shut down and I had a great show mm. at the Leeds Playhouse. Yeah. West Yorkshire Playhouse. I think it's just called the Leeds Playhouse now actually. Okay. Um, and um, that was a week before everything got shut down. Okay. So then we tried to schedule some more dates in and we managed to get a date in the diary for the Greenwich Theatre in October on, on actually on the it wasn't on October, it was on uh, the 1st of November. Yeah. Um, and we'd been locked down for a while back then and it sold out instantly. Wow, well done. I mean, it was socially distanced, so there wasn't, you know, it wasn't a full audience. Mm -hmm. So then we said, well, let's, can we, have you got another night? And they said, we can give you the night before as well on, the, on Halloween 31st of October. And they gave us that as well. Mm -hmm. And we sold that out as well. So, and then the, to top it all off, once we knew we were doing well and everything like that, we managed to get Next Up Comedy to come in and film it. Yeah. And um, that was probably the biggest achievement of the year so far for me, mm. of where that show went. And it got professionally filmed, really good audience. We had a, we had a great night. I redeveloped it with um, Burke's Nest mm. and... Um, um, you know, we, we, we worked on it really hard and then we turned it into an online show as well so it could be broadened out. Um, yeah, the show had a life afterwards. Yeah, yeah. it's just really amazing how ne Next Stop was able to capture that market. Um, yeah. Because, you know, it's just really, really brilliant. I, I mentioned in the last podcast that it really has saved my presidency <laughs> with, the number, <laughs> with the number of projects that I've done. And I think yeah, that's the way... Sorry? They, they believe so much in the comedians and they and they know exactly what the comedians need and mm -hmm, like them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I really love them. Yeah, mm -hmm. I loved working with them. Mm -hmm. So you've you've done the special, that's your greatest achievement. How else have you been? How have you been coping? How have you been have how, how have you been uh I've been, creative? Oh, creative. Oh, creative. Well, I suppose it, it counts as creative. I bought, a, I bought a massive cookbook of Mexican food and okay. I've been slowly getting my way through all the different salsas that you can make in, um, in, in that book. That's gone mm. quite well. Okay. Um, I'm writing a sitcom. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Hope I'm, they don't the it. And I'm, hey. <laughs> I'm writing it. I'm writing a sitcom about, um, I'm writing a sitcom about a disabled actor's um, company. Oh, it's going to get so all the, it's, it's going to all get the actors have this <laughs> And, um, you know, the, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen in it, but the, fir the first episode involves, um, you know, one of the characters, they all get invited to a house party and okay. one of the characters in a wheelchair mm -hmm. um, and they turn up to uh, the house party and it turns out the house party is on a boat on the canal. Okay. So we're like, well, how are we going to get the guy in? So they put a plank over to the boat and the plank snaps wow. and the guy goes in the water and it's all about him. Yeah. Wow. Um, I've, um, I mean, obviously first, I talk Hold on, is that, is that your first sitcom? I mean, yeah, yeah. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't written into this before, but um, I've wow. worked in the acting industry for okay. a while. Yeah. So I've, I've worked with a lot of sort of 
theatre scripts and TV scripts and stuff like that. So I kind of know what is terrible. Yeah. And I just try and not write that. Yeah, yeah. And and do you, because I, I, I genuinely believe it's a difference. You, you've had that lot, you know, opportunity to, to be an actor and to do acting. Um, that transition from being a comedian to being a, a, a script writer, that is quite a challenge, isn't it? Especially if you don't know what you're, yeah. you're doing. It's a completely different world yeah. to me. Because like as, as a comedian, you write a funny thing and yeah. the, the payback is kind of instant because you get someone laughing or sighing or groaning yeah. or something. something. Yeah. Um, but with, um, with script writing, you sort of never get that. He's like, even if it gets made, you kind of never get that audible reaction to it. Yeah, and also in terms of, because obviously as a comedian doing a sitcom, you want to try and you want to make it funny, don't you? That's your, that's your ultimate goal. And it's not like live comedy where you can go on stage and then you test your jokes and you can tell which ones are funny. How do you, how do you know that what you've actually written in a sitcom is funny? I'm finding that you just need to get as many eyes on it as possible. Okay, people you trust. I started off by just sending it to different comedians that I know. Okay. And then now I'm at the stage where I'm working with a guy who has quite a long history of making sitcoms and making comedy shows. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, he's given me some great advice. Yeah. Um, so we, we've booked in some sessions. Um, he's given me ways to improve it mm. i go away for two weeks make the changes also i'm finding as well that um sometimes you need to go to a place when writing that is so ridiculous okay that you know for a fact it will never be used but to go there it gets you to the place where it needs to be because as um as a performer i always find that um it's always easier to rein things in than it is to build things up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you, even in even when you're performing stand-up or something like that, if, if you've got a segment that is so big and so outlandish, mm -hmm. it's kind of helpful sometimes to make it just go that far with it mm -hmm. and then rein it back in rather than going a little bit and a little bit and then it's not enough, it's not enough, and you have to keep building it up. Yeah. Once you go so far, you've got all of it, it's all there. Yeah. And then you just take what you need. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm finding that transferable skill from performing in, in, into writing as well. Mm. So that obviously, if I've heard you correctly, that actually means that you, you write lots and lots and lots and lots, and then you obviously, you, there, is, there has to be, sorry, there has to be, I don't know who that is. That might be the MFI. It's your electric toothbrush, obviously. <laughs> it's my electric toothbrush. It's my phone. <laughs> so what I was going to say is that, um, sorry about that. It, uh, yeah, it's my electric toothbrush. Um, you, you, you do a lot of writing, obviously, for the sitcom, but at the, end, at the end of the day, you have to edit, cut the fat. Thank you. That's basically what it's you not, It's not so much about it. It's not so much about the, um, the actual amount that you've written. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, for instance, I've I've written a, I wrote a scene where uh, the characters go to um, a restaurant, like a new uh, chicken wings restaurant, so yeah. And I wanted the chicken wings restaurant to be stupid because I wanted it to be a really fun scene. So mm. I, I created. It's actually pretty relevant to this podcast. 
I created a North Korean themed chicken wings restaurant. Oh, you see, oh, my likes are open. <laughs> <laughs> so they go in and it's called Wing Young Un and um, it has the, the pink lady just reading the North Korean news constantly. Wow. Waiters call everybody glorious feeders mm. and all the chili sauce comes in like missile, um, mm. missile things. Mm. So ridiculous. It's not, it's not gonna get made. And straight away my producer's like, we we got to rein that in, but I I had to go there yeah. to like get to the point where I could come up with something in in between. I got you. I got you. Yeah. I got you. And you know, it's it's interesting that you know someone said it's the way my brain is wired. When I hear the likes of North Korea and Venezuela, I I get I get so much <laughs> excited. <laughs> <laughs> I get so excited when I hear all these uh these countries with dictator dictators in them. Do you have what, any views for North Korea yet? Yeah. I, mean, uh, I haven't got any view. I haven't had any um, downloads in North Korea, and I suspect it's to do with their I internet. If you managed to get on the internet in North yeah, Korea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, Venez yeah but, 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 but Venezuela, I have. I have. Well, that, uh, I yeah, really so, yeah, so I've got, I've got downloads in Venezuela. I've got downloads in Russia. So there are quite a number of dictatorial countries. But, um, yeah, um, yeah, so good luck with your... Sitcom. Maybe we could maybe we could talk outside outside this podcast um, because I'm I'm writing yeah. I'm writing something as well uh, that I don't want to I don't want to reveal I just don't feel that I need to reveal it to the world state secret state secret um, tell me about your disability yeah so I was I was it's a birth defect I was born um, with it's it's called Poland syndrome yeah. it's got nothing to do with Poland it has nothing to do with Poland whatsoever. The guy who discovered it was a man called Alfred Poland. Okay. Um, but it doesn't stop people thinking it's got something to do with Poland. Okay. Um, actually, if you go on um, if you go on Instagram and you start and you search for the hashtag Poland syndrome, yeah, yeah, what you see is people just on holiday in Poland. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I uh, on a separate note, I because I use Twitter a lot now because of the lockdown, yeah. and and someone asked me. Um, the, where is Laughter Republic? And uh, he said it was very close to Ligma. And I had no idea what Ligma was. So I had to Google it. And Ligma is a fictional disease. So, you know, and, and yeah. I'm a fictional president and I'm, I'm running a fictional country. So I'm thinking, this guy, <laughs> is this guy actually insulting me that I must be. What are we doing? Yeah, what are we doing? <laughs> And I am a fictional president of a fictional country. I can, sometimes I can't believe the words I have to hear in comedy. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yes. Yeah, um, so, so I was thinking, wow, he must think that I must be, there must be something wrong with me. Uh, and I, you know, I just, I, I, I thought about it for a few minutes and I thought, is there something actually wrong with me? Is this, why am I doing fictional comedy? Why, you know, why am I doing something fictional? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he said it was a fictional disease, but fuck it, excuse me. You were dead at one point, you know, what, where else is it to go? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, and your, your creativity has to take you to where you feel comfortable with. So I think he was probably just winding me up. Um, but yeah, so you have that, you have that defect and yeah. So yeah, I, I had the birth defect. So basically the, the main thing is like, I've got like, you see my left hand okay. is completely different to my right hand. My right hand's completely normal. Okay. Cool. Everything it needs to do. Um, <laughs> but then, <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> this one is underdeveloped, smaller. Okay. Um, and I had a lot of surgery on it. Okay. Um, because actually, it used to be a lot, lot worse than this. Okay. Um, like, okay, but the whole, all of the fingers were webbed, right? Okay. Like a, like a duck's, like a duck's foot, and it was wow, a very like good a spider, swimmer, spider. Wow. very good swimmer. Yeah. <laughs> but um, got all that removed because I could, I couldn't use my hand. Okay. I couldn't use my hand. And now this is this is the really weird bit. Um, so I had these two fingers on on this hand that are not there anymore. Mm -hmm. One was really really short and fat, and the other one was really long and thin. Mm -hmm. They looked like like nineteen twenties gangsters or something like that from a comedy. Um, but they amputated those fingers. Oh, wow! Because I couldn't I couldn't pick things up. I couldn't use cutlery. I couldn't tie my shoelaces. But as you can see, I've still got five fingers. Yeah. So these two here are actually my toes from my foot. Wow. I mean, where else are they going to be from? But, but it's the second biggest toe of each foot okay. <laughs> that they stitched to me. I mean, I was like, I remember them telling me that they were going to do this. And they were like, oh, we're going to put your toes on your hand. Um, and I was like, really? Or is this, is this what it's come to? And I'm like looking over at my parents and they're like, this is actually the most logical thing to do at this point. Um, and we just we just went for it. And, and to be honest, it, it totally worked because, you know, I can I can basically hold a pint with this hand. Um, it doesn't affect me. I don't I, I'm, in, in day to day life. I'm not a disabled person mm -hmm. just in a casting room. Okay. Um, where they get you to hold your hands up to camera all the time. Yeah. Um, so it's weird. Normal life, everyday life, not disabled, acting world, definitely a disabled actor. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. So is that, is that, why, why, why do you think that is? I think there's a two-pronged thing going on here. Um, I think, um, look, in, in our, in our world, yeah, our society looks matter mm -hmm. they just do like maybe more than they should but they they just they just matter like if you go to prep and you're pretty you probably get free coffee apparently Look, um, i get I, I get free coffee but just smiling no i'm just smiling i've never had one <laughs> look you know what <laughs> let's not forget the point you are going to make that's because you're going in full uniform but like look look i go in full uniform after a gig and actually what was really interesting <laughs> when it happened regularly i thought i was the only one getting free coffee and then i felt <laughs> look i felt so special because i just thought wow there's something i'm doing even when i wasn't in uniform as soon as they see me i just smile free coffee <laughs> then one day i found out that they were giving free coffee to someone else i said what the I thought I was the only one. Uh, I genuinely thought I was the only one. <laughs> yeah. I've never had one. It's lovely that you have. Um, oh no, several so. times, several times. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, but where was my point? Where my point was um, basically in, in the in the acting industry, mm -hmm. right? In our society, at the, at the end of the day, looks matter, which is which is why we get certain people who look a certain way advertising certain things, mm -hmm. and which is why certain people. I mean, what's the most popular show in the UK? It's Love Island. Mm -hmm. It's Love Island. What do they What do they all look like? Right? I mean, they look like they look like they don't eat. To be honest, but like aesthetically, that's the the ideal that they're all just shoved on it. Mm -hmm. um, now, companies specifically like, like advertising companies and stuff like that, uh, they are paid by a client who has got absolutely no interest 
in the uh, integrity of the advert or the the, the the equality of it a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. um, and they don't want anything to distract from the product, mm -hmm. right? So if you stick someone who's slightly disabled or mm -hmm. visibly disabled or something like that, then they worry that the, um, the advert becomes about the inclusion of disability more than the products. Do you understand? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I feel that that spilled over a little bit too much mm -hmm. um, into the minds of producers and, and casting directors mm -hmm. where they think, well, we don't want someone who has a visible disability on this because it will take away from the story. There's nothing written in that story mm -hmm. that says this character's got this disability. Mm -hmm. Well, to be honest, I'm like I said, an everyday normal person in everyday life. I can mm -hmm. run, I can go on bike rides, I can do carpentry, I can fix cars, I can mm -hmm. like I, I just have a normal life. Mm -hmm. This isn't something that defines my everyday day to day. Yeah. So why should it by default define every single character that I'm asked to play? Mm -hmm. And you'll have people say, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. Don't worry about it. And I'll say, well, that's great that you think it doesn't matter, but why is it that eight times out of 10 when I get an audition is specifically for a disabled casting? Mm -hmm. And I feel really awkward going into those castings because half the time I'm the only person with all four limbs. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm like the least disabled person going into those. Yeah. And, and that's even if they believe you because until you you actually said it. I, I okay. When we met at Gilda Balloon, I didn't I didn't notice anything. You know. So, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So is it is it is it now what you will call your white privilege? Is, has it worked as your, for your advantage? I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I, I guess it it has in some ways, but it's worked at such a disadvantage in other ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's what's um? I, I, yeah, I think I think I managed to stir a bit of a buzz about me a little bit more with my show just because of that that angle. And I think um, if I didn't have this story behind me, I wouldn't have too much to write about because mm -hmm. my life isn't that interesting otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, interestingly, like um, I became, I became single in, <laughs> I became single in July. Oh, okay. The first time I had to get onto the dating scene with a visible disability. Yeah. I was like, what do I do with this? You know, what, what do I, do I have a, do I have a picture of me on the apps? Do I have a picture of me like, hey, by the way, this is coming. This is, this is actually <laughs> coming up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you better be okay with it because I, I don't want to have that awkward conversation. I don't want to have that conversation. We're talking with someone to go, oh, yeah, by the way, ta-da, I hope you're still yeah. into me. Um, because weirdly enough, like, I'm actually okay with people just being put off by it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. People have preferences. Yeah. I have preferences. Yeah, you know, I've, I've been put off by, I've been put off by really petty things before. Mm -hmm. I got put off by a girl once because her friend looked too loud. Mm -hmm. Um, so what I actually did on, um, on dating apps is I put my full name, Okay. my, my full name, mm -hmm. because I know that anybody who goes on a date with anybody nowadays, they Google them yeah. and I'm pretty Googleable. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so after about three days, if they're still chatting to me, 
I'm like, well, they've Googled me and they're still okay with me. You know, and, and to be fair, sometimes people will be chatting to me, chatting to me, and then for no reason, bang, bang gone. Mm. Like, okay. That could be because they Googled me and realized that th yeah. this is kind of weirding them out. Yeah. What we're off a duck's back, don't really care about that now. Mm. Um, and you know what? Yeah, every time I've actually been on a couple of dates with somebody, and I've as I've said, I, 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 maybe on the second one, I've gone, right, so have you Googled me? And they're like, yeah, it was like the first thing I did. <laughs> And it was, it's like such a relief that you go, right, fine, great, because you know everything about me, because that basically means you watch my stand up, you've read the all out articles about me, yeah. and I don't have to have this fucking awkward conversation Especially, where I go, yeah. I've got a weird hand, is that okay? And it's, it's amazing, it's amazing how we take these things for granted. Um, certainly with me and six wives, I don't even know what the dating scene is like. <laughs> but Richard, on a serious note, do, even if they didn't Google you, what is wrong with that? Not necessarily surprise, but just accepting you for who you are at the very beginning of the dating scene, and it comes up, and then you say to them, "Well, you know, you gotta be, you, you gotta be, you gotta be brave with it." And I, I've done it before. Like, actually, I was on a date with a girl, mm -hmm. and um, this was a few years ago, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to say something and mm -hmm. bring it up, you know. And I, I brought it up like I bring it up when I'm in casting rooms yeah. sometimes. And you just bring it up like, oh, by the way, I've got this thing. Um, and what it being like, it been like we've been on a date for like three hours at this point. Mm -hmm. And I and I I had enough to drink and I went, oh, by the way, like, you know, uh stuff with my life i've got this thing i've had operations because i've got this thing with my hand and she went oh yeah poland syndrome right i know about that and i went what you know about poland syndrome she's like yeah i know all about that mm -hmm. i just looked at her and she went yeah i googled you i was like well why didn't you say something at the beginning it was like i just wanted she was like i wanted to see mm -hmm. if you were actually going to hide it if you actually <laughs> she fucking watched all my stand up with the neck Anyway, it was kind of funny anyway. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the story is, is funny. I, mean, I can see how, because I've never seen your show and I've never seen you do stand-up, but I can see how that would work on stage when you're just talking about your um, disability and the, the stories behind I your mean, experience. Yeah, there was this one really bad one, because what I used to do is I used to hide it as much as possible. Yeah. And it's not actually the best thing to do. Mm. And, like, I was on a date with this girl um, and we were walking down the South Bank in London and um, it was going okay. And she started holding my hand, right? My left hand. And I was okay. like, which to most people is, oh, this is a good thing. This is going well. Mm. But to me, I'm going, oh no, 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 no. I haven't told her yet. I haven't told her, I haven't oh, told yeah. her. So I'm like in my head going like, don't worry about it. She's just holding your hand. She's not looking at it. It's going to be okay. Um, <laughs> and then I, I, I forgot, I forgot something about my hand, right? because I've had so many operations on it, like the nerve endings down here aren't very good. Mm -hmm. Right, so sometimes when someone's holding my hand, I don't always know if they're trying to get out. Oh dear. And they can get stuck in there. Okay. <laughs> so she tried to brush her, <laughs> she wanted to brush her hair back or something. And she tried to let go of my hand and her experience is I would not let go of her hand. Oh um, I know. And then she kind of looked at me concerned and I was like, oh, it's okay, it's okay. I've got this, I've got this thing, sorry. And she was like, uh, I noticed it at the beginning. I just wanted to hold your hand to let you know everything was fine. 
Mm, wow. So then it's just this weird communication level between both people. I'm worried to say something. She's a little bit worried to say something, but actually everything is okay. Yeah. Cool. So uh, for my, I assume you're still single, so we can broadcast this to uh, listeners from all over the world. If you're still looking, I am. <laughs> I am. I am not. I'm not single as of about a couple oh, of days ago. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Look, some, there's a situation, it's moving quite fast. Um, excellent, 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 <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. That's great. But thanks for sharing uh, such a fascinating story. And it's stuff that people tend to just take for granted. Um, yeah, I've been, on a, I've been on a date before, before I got married to my six wives. And this was before um, all these dating sites and... Um, I met someone, someone introduced me to someone and um, we spoke on the phone and she had such a great, lovely voice. I mean, you know, what's those sort of voices that just want you, you, you want to go to bed and you, you want to hear that voice every night. And after oh, yeah. about, yeah, about two weeks of uh, uh, telephone dating, we decided to meet and... Um, or telephone dating. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's how ancient I am, mate. You like the dial-up thing and everything. <laughs> <laughs> because there was no, what I'm talking about, there was no, there was no, there, there, wasn't, there was no Facebook, there was no, you know, there was no Instagram, there was nothing. This was, yeah, so, you know. <laughs> now I'm showing my age. I'm showing my age. No. <laughs> so, you know, it's always like, you know, you have to press that Big telephone yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we did that for for youngs for two weeks and my hands were aching me so i just thought look i think it's time we meet so we met at the station and as soon as i saw her i just thought this is not going to work i turned back ah. i just literally turned back i just literally turned back because she wasn't who i thought she was, it, it was almost like I was catfished, you know? <laughs> it goes, when I see it, like... <laughs> catfishing the president. Yeah, yeah, catfishing the president. And even I haven't started doing comedy then, but look, she told me what she looked like and she told me what dress she was gonna be wearing. But look, who I saw at that station wasn't the person I'd been talking to for two weeks. And I didn't want to put myself through that pain. I just said, no, I, I can't do this. I'd rather just leave the memory behind that two weeks. Let's just... <laughs> <laughs> because to meet you face to face and then find out you're not the real person who was talking to me, which I think she was, but it just, no, it was, um, I wish her well. I, it's been a long time. So yeah, I've had, I've had those experiences of dating but not online, more, you know, telephone, big telephone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, the uh, title of this podcast, as you know, is called If Comedians Rule the World. So I'm sure you've prepared yourself because I demanded that you not only come onto this podcast, but that you should uh, think about a topic that you want to talk about that is dear to your heart, that listeners and viewers, because this is going to be on YouTube as well, might find some benefit. So what is it exactly you would like to 
talk about in terms of a specific subject on if comedians rule the world? So I want to, it's, it's not a policy that I've got or anything like that, but um, the, the subject that's been really winding me up in the last couple of months um, is the, the culture of wellness and um, this idea that and if you've got if you've got mental health problems and you know you 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 need some help that you you before you try therapy before you try medication and all the things that we know have worked i was in therapy for three years i know it works um before you try all of that you try getting yourself some bath salts and a scented candle and uh, maybe changing the layout of your your bedroom or something like that. And it's just, it takes no responsibility mm. for um, the thousands of people out there now that think that this is a substitute, a little bit like the sort of herbal medicine culture. Mm -hmm. um, they, they think that like, you know, certain herbal medicines that have not been proved to work can be an alternative to actual real medicine. Mm. I think the whole wellness thing can be taken too far and it's not a substitute for real actual help. Mm -hmm. um, the whole self-love, self-preservation, self-care, it's right on, it's brilliant, but it only goes so far, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you go, I need a bit of self-love, I don't feel like working this week. I'm just going to sit in my dressing gown and eat ice cream because that's what I want to do. And then you get to day three and they're still doing that. Um, and they're like, no, I've been eating ice cream for three days in my dressing gown, but you know, that's what I want to do. That's self-love and self-care. That's the most important thing. And it's like, is it? Is that actually what you should be doing right now? Because the thing is, Life isn't all about going through it with no stress whatsoever. <laughs> it's so easy in our society at the moment to have no stress because it's there, the option there. It's the, the instant gratification of Facebook and social media and mm. this cheap fast food and everything. And you can, you can stay in your house and you never have to leave. Mm. Um, but it's not healthy. Mm. And you've got this whole industry, which which intends, you know, it, in in its essence, wants to help people. It wants to it wants to make people feel good. But really, that whole industry can't exist without people's misery. Mm. Yeah. So it has to keep people miserable, and it has to keep people in problems because then they're not going to buy the next type of fucking amber nectar that they're going to put on their face, or they're not going to buy the next scented candle that comes out, or you know, they're not going to. I don't know, paid a thousand pounds for a yoga week somewhere in Bali or something like that. You know, it's, you know, guys, it's not a substitution for actually helping yourself. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be the nice things that you surround yourself by that make you feel a little bit better. But when you've got actual real issues going on, you have to tackle them head on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really interesting you say that because one of my guests um, was had a rant about the lockdown, Kate Copstick, and uh, she detests yoga. She mentioned how she hated yoga classes and all that. 
what's made you form that view? Don't, apart from the fact that people are making money out of people's misery, don't you think there's so much info? You know, it's really interesting you mentioned um, stress. And my, my school of thought is that stress is good for you. Um, not too much of it, but you must have. I, you know, I, I'm not, um, I hear people talk about, oh, how their life is so fantastic. And yeah, but they don't talk to you about the challenges that they face on a daily basis or on a weekly basis or whatever it is. So even if you have a 70 year span of life, there will be stresses, you know, there'll be either be family problems or work problems, or there'll be creativity, creativity problems. There is no one who doesn't go through stress. And I know there are people who don't do any of these uh, yoga lessons or, you know, they just get on with what they need to get on with. They face it head on. What's made you think that's not the right way for people? Actually, it's, it's freedom of choice. People, you know, and you're in a democratic nation where you could choose what you what you would like i wonder whether north korea allows their citizens to have yoga who knows but <laughs> the thing is i think yoga is a good thing yeah i think it's a good thing it's just not the solution to everything and actually if you're going to link yoga i think yoga is linked to buddhism and hinduism yeah and i think it's a buddhist um a Buddhist proverb that life is suffering mm -hmm. and happiness is finding meaning in that suffering. Mm -hmm. So intrinsically within that religion, which yoga was possibly formed mm -hmm. alongside or with, it's very, you know, that you have something in that, mm -hmm. in that belief, which says life is stressful. Mm -hmm. Life is hard. But at the moment, I think we've got a culture of um, people saying, well, actually, life, you, nothing should be hard. Well, like, nothing should be hard whatsoever. They're, um, they're, they're kidding themselves. I mean, look at look at the state of the comedy industry. Look at the things that we all had in mind. And then general COVID comes out of the blue. And, you know, we were talking to you the other day about the edible fringe and whether it was going to happen. I had a show already prepared. I mean, you know, I wouldn't have done this if it wasn't because of the lockdown. This is not something that I normally would have done, but I've had to learn new skills as a result, rather than have the choice of wallowing self-pity and say, what am I going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do next. You adapt. And uh, yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's more of a culture. I think certainly, certainly people are not able to deal with stress the way they used to. Um, but, I mean, I have this idea, like there's a lot of Instagram influencers out there that have absolutely no qualifications and they, you know, and they're telling people how to live their lives. Mm. And they're just saying, do what you want, do what you do, what you want to do. You just do what you feel is in your heart. Yeah. Well, what about if someone was out there and they were saying that, do what you want to do, do what you feel is in your heart constantly to make yourself happy. And then someone, a load of people listened to them. And then there was a massive crime wave. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I was just listening to this Instagram and she told me to do what I wanted. And it turns out what I wanted to do was rob a load of banks and kill people. You know, mm. it's, it's not helpful. Mm. There is a healthy way to go about things and there's an unhealthy way to go about things. And it's not this, this precedence on self-importance and everything is outward. I'm not like that myself. I'm quite a giving person. I can be selfish because mm. at the end of the day, the, the, 
the goal of me giving something to something else is that they like me. I don't know. <laughs> so it's sort of <laughs> it's sort of self self serving in a way. Um, but yeah. It's, there's a lot of people out there spouting some irresponsible information which people can't be trusted with. We can't be trusted with anything. You know, you know, one of when, things... the, when they asked us to name a boat, we call it Boaty McBoatface. Uh, yeah, and now people you. wonder why we can't obey lockdown rules. You know, we've never been able to be trusted with anything. <laughs> and we take whatever, they take whatever information they have without even researching on it. They just then apply it to themselves. Um, so if you had someone come to you and said, oh, I, I have issues in terms of stress, dealing with life, what advice would you give them? I mean, people come to me with these issues all the time. Oh, you're a counselor then? No. I <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing is, like, I, th I think you do, I, I do think you always have to trust your gut. Mm. If you've got like if, if you've got a gut instinct which is mm. which is saying, like for instance, I, for example, I need to leave my job. Mm -hmm. I need to leave my job. It's mm -hmm. like okay, leave your job. Not just leave your job. Plan to leave your job. Leave yeah. your job at the right time. Mm. Set yourself up something. Don't just run away from it and just jump off the cliff into a precipice because you're jumping into a worse situation. Yeah. Um. Like. If someone comes to me with stress and asks me what to do, I ask them what the solution of that stress could be. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time, the solution isn't something that people want to hear. Mm -hmm. People want to accept, which is why they're staying in that that um, that state of stress. I've mm -hmm. had it a lot. Uh, I've had it myself, where I used to remain in a state of stress and chaos because it had become my comfort zone to mm -hmm. stay in chaos, to stay in distress. Mm -hmm. um, and you don't want to accept what the solutions of those things might be because it takes you away from what you're normally doing, mm -hmm. which is being fucking scared. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, it is being brave to take the solutions that are there in front of you, which mm. don't always seem like the right thing at the time. Mm. Um, I'm, and the thing is, and then I would also straight away advise them, I have no qualifications in counselling or psychology yeah. or uh, anything like that. Probably don't listen to me 100%. But as someone who's been through three years of therapy and been on antidepressants and come off antidepressants and done that journey, mm -hmm. this is what I did. Mm -hmm. And now I feel okay. And I think the people that you can learn from are the people who've had that experience. That's just my view. Um, because I've just noticed there's just lots of people who post things and say, I'm going through X, Y, Z. And people start giving advice. And some of the advice is stuff that they've picked up from a textbook rather than a life experience to help that person recover. But what do I know? I'm a, I'm a dictator, so I should even be talking about. You're supposed to know everything. Yeah. You're supposed to be, supposed to be divine. Yeah, yeah, divine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this has been this has been interesting, mate. We've we've had uh, a very long conversation from you know you picking up women, pretending that you're disabled, to. Uh, <laughs> Just getting the sympathy vote there. <laughs> Get the sympathy vote for your comedy and for women. Uh, 
to the discussion on wellness. Um, now, this podcast is listened to and viewed by so many people, uh, especially in 20 countries, and you're based in the UK. What message do you want to impact to my listeners? How can people find you? Uh, especially with your projects and, and yeah. The best, like the best place to find me is on Twitter. Mm-hmm. That's where I spend most of my time. Mm-hmm. If you go on my Instagram, that's a that's kind of light version of me. Nobody wants that. Like, mm-hmm. Don't do that. Like go, go, go to my Twitter. It's much more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, which is at the, as in the, mm-hmm. the R stot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that's my Twitter. Okay. Um, and advice to the world is—is is that something I was asked to give just then? Yes. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Do Vote it. Vote for President Abonjo is my advice to the oh, world. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Keep voting for him in a, an, an election which is already rigged. He will win anyway. But, you know, <laughs> don't start. Don't start me off with Trump. You know, <laughs> don't start me off. I don't even want to talk about the fact that he was the incumbent. Well, he's gone and, now. He's and, gone. He could, and he could fix the election. Yeah, this is an interesting point because someone on one of the podcasts basically said that, don't I think because Trump has now left power that um, uh, political satire is now dead and that, you know, comedy, they, Trump was a, a comedy weapon and all of a sudden there isn't anyone you could pick on or attack. What's your view? My view is that actually satire became impossible with Trump around. Yeah. Because it was, yeah. it was too crazy and it was it was too um, far gone. And mm-hmm. it was like, it was like, you know, literally the stuff that satirists would come up with in the first place that was actually happening. So the yeah. Trump being around was the thing that actually killed satire. I'm actually looking forward to satire coming back. Yeah. We've got, <laughs> we've got somebody who's like rationally minded running the running the America. Yeah. And we just start taking the piss out of him again. Yeah, you know, yeah. in a fun way, not in a horrible, like, oh my god, way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I've got nothing in common with Biden. Nothing in common. Good. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I wish him well, though. I, he's got some mama task. <laughs> I can't believe he didn't call you. No, he hasn't even called me. Uh, even though I pretended as if I. He called me. I posted uh, something on Twitter. Talk, let's let's talk ah. about Twitter. How are you finding Twitter? Because I never, I never, um, I never got round to using Twitter because I never really had the time. But since lockdown, I've been using it a lot. Um, how long I have you only, been on Twitter? How have you found it? No, I've been on it for years, but I, I only really got into it about a year and a half ago. A year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I was just like, I don't, I don't know what to do. You know, you just put something out there and it just mm. it just goes out into into nowhere. Mm. And someone reacts to it, whatever. But um, it's, it's I actually find it really fun mm. now. You know, oh, okay. certain trends come up, you get involved in it. There's a bit of a community. I've actually got friends who I've made through Twitter. Oh, okay. Who I did not know before. Mm-hmm. And we tweeted, we had the same sense of humor, we kept tweeting. Mm. Then they come to one of my gigs, we'd have a pint, and we're like, no, no, I've got two, two, three friends now. Wow. No, I, we're just from the Twitter, like normal people as well, not like weirdo. <laughs> like, <Not> just, <laughs> just like normal people with jobs and wives and stuff like that, you know. I haven't I haven't had that I haven't had that uh, opportunity of meeting people who 
the majority of the people who follow me have actually seen me at a gig perform and then they decided to add me on Twitter as a, as a, as a follower. But it's a very strange place. I, if people get really angry, they get really, really wow. angry so quickly. It's and that, that <laughs> angry and offended. Like the very, it's like the very, very best of the internet and also the very bottom of the internet yeah. at the same time. It's all yeah. just in one place. Yeah. Like, I, it, it could all be in one thread. Yeah. You know? And, I, and I, I've noticed that some people just tweet things just to get retweets. Necessarily... Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, what's your favorite biscuit? Is there a ginger yeah, yeah, yeah. nut or a digest <laughs> retweet for digestive and like for ginger nut? You know, yeah, self serving shit. That was <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I've, I've said to myself, I, if, uh, if it gets too much for me, I might just ban myself from Twitter. Just ban, I won't wait for Twitter to ban me, I'll ban myself from Twitter. I would like to see your own social media platform. Yeah, I, well, I'm thinking of my own social media platform. I'm thinking of my own Twitch, my own TikTok. Are you on TikTok? I am on TikTok, yeah. I, I got banned from TikTok. I got, I, I got ba yeah, I got banned for a couple of days. Um, oh, okay, what did you do? I just made a video of myself. Um, I was I, I made a video of myself with uh, with my morning coffee and my dressing gown, mm. looking down at the camera like I didn't care, mm. with some like classical music playing mm. and basically not doing anything. And the caption was, "Me when I find Donald Trump choking to death." Ooh, ooh! <laughs> Even you're shocked by that. I'm surprised. No, no, no. I'm shocked. No, I'm not shocked by that. I'm shocked by the fact that they banned you because of that. It's a kids, it's a kids app. Apparently, they don't like anything that's like. It's interesting you say it's a kids app, but I've been receiving lots of because I've been putting my stand up sets on there. I've been it's receiving lots better. of yeah, it's getting better. I've, I've seen lots of adults join me. So it started over. off as like a teenager's account, very Generation yeah. Z. Yeah. I think after lockdown three happened here, mm. all the over thirties just fucking got <laughs> in there, and it's just full of weird shit now. It's great. <laughs> Someone said to me. Uh, you'd think that the TikTok fans would of President Obonjo will be following the likes of Justin Timberlake, uh, but what are they doing? They're following President Obonjo. What's happened to the world? Awesome. <laughs> I, I don't follow you yet. I should follow you. You should. I have I have twenty three point one k followers. Oh, what? That's fucking low. I've got like six thousand, and I, now I've got seven thousand now. And I thought that was a big deal. You were twenty three thousand. Yeah, we're what not. <laughs> We're not busting on followers now, are we? But um, <laughs> it's really interesting. It's the it is the biggest achievement in terms of social media because my my Facebook fan page has it does one, go up a lot. Right? My Facebook fan page has one thousand eight hundred. My Twitter, which is a bit disappointing for me, I've got three thousand. It keeps jumping from three thousand seven seven five and it goes to three thousand six hundred. I don't know what's going on. So I've got three thousand six hundred on followers. I got. 3,000 followers on Instagram. Plus the president, I should have 89 million followers on Twitter. At least 89 million. Yeah. But I don't know what I gotta do. What, what do, who do I have to kill get, to get, who do I have to kill? Or which country do I have to bomb to get followers? Honestly. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I look at it and I just well, you don't kill, a boy, don't kill anyone. Yeah, anybody, exactly. I, I know just, it. And I just thought as a result of Trump leaving, 
that, you know, I, I, at one point I had more followers than Biden and all of a sudden Biden has like 24 million already, just within a week. Oh, sorry, you had more followers than Biden at one point. Yeah, I had more followers than Biden. <laughs> that was because Biden was in transition. <laughs> yeah, you know that period where they shifted his account from Joe Biden to President Woo! of the United States? It was zero what? followers. And then I was, I had 3,775. And within a couple of days, he overtook me, 24.5. Of course he did, you know, walk it, it's America. Yeah, but look, Richard, it's been a pleasure. I've taken so much of your time and thank you so much for this joining me. Yeah, I, look, it's, 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 I love the, I love the art of conversation. This is what, this is one of many reasons why I've done this. And I wish you every success in whatever you decide to do. Um, Plumbing. Sorry? <laughs> plumbing, like plumbing, scaffolding, something well, like that. I don't know. I, I, I still, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'm not even thinking about the future. I'm just taking each day as it comes. Um, Every I think, morning I wake yeah, up. And I'm just yeah, because I think, I think, I think, I think if you, if you plan too well ahead, you're likely to get really disappointed. You know, just one giant That's step for man. not plan anything now, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, even though, um, I was thinking, I think I spoke to you a couple of weeks ago, we we're talking about uh, Edible Fringe and whether it was going to happen or not. And, you know, I had my thoughts on, on it. But look, Richard, thank you so much. Um, I'm going to let Richard go because we could go on and on and on and on. What an interesting and fascinating comedian, not just a comedian, an actor, not just an actor. He dates on all these, you know, dating sites, looking for women, uh, even though... <laughs> It's like I've stopped. I've paused my apps. I don't have any anymore. Like, so guys, uh, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode. I shall uh, post it as soon as I can. Thank you so much for joining. Please subscribe to my podcast, "If Comedians Rule the World," with President Abonjo. It is the only, the only dictator podcast in the world, and this is the original dictator podcast. If anyone else is doing a dictator podcast. They have stolen it from me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Richard, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Oh, uh, bye. That's so funny. Bye. Bye. bye.